Well, good afternoon, everyone, again. Welcome to Sunday Sessions. It's 29th of November, 2020. Well, thank you for uh, joining me. As usual, it's our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this within your favorite sanctuary space. Though I'm indoors today because it's misty outside, it would have messed up the equipment. But expressing inspired visions from your sanctuary through your poetry, writing, arts, crafts, performance, problem solving, and all the tricky things in your vocation. Now, today's Sunday Sessions is one of the five OM sessions that I host, and this is OM, the divination story. And uh, one lovely guest we've got coming up, she says she's sort of caught out in snow at the moment, but uh, looking forward, it's very the one very special guest that we've got, and I'm trying to get a nice picture, you were, might recognize her, there she is, uh, Dana Driscoll, maybe better known to you as the author of the very generous uh, Druid Garden blog. And Dana's going to introduce us to a spectacular Tower of Trees divination set, which is she's just put through a bit of an overhaul, a very beautiful uh, way of uh, very beautiful set. And uh, let's see, this is, if you need to know, that's that's the Druid Garden. You might be familiar with that address. Ah, Dana's on board. Hello, Dana. And. Uh, there we go. A quick hello. Hello, Dana. Glad to see you. I will come back to you shortly. Um, that's fabulous. And um, and I'm also featuring the art and amazing Owen interpretation, if I can get back to my pictures here, uh, by Katie Holton, who recently had an exhibition in Carlo for a while, for a few months. I think it was June to October. And this is a bit of her work there. Uh, which is absolutely fabulous. And I only heard of Katie yesterday, thanks to Heads Up, from a friend, Marcella Gillick. And so I invited Katie to be with us, but unfortunately it was last minute. And I got a quick response from her, but uh, she's caught up in California, hasn't had sleep for a few days, wants a bit of a lay-in. She can't get back to Ireland because of all the various COVID things, but... Uh, she wants to, she's actually coming back to move in the Sligo area. So I'm, we're bound to have her as a guest at some point. Anyway, let's uh, take a, a moment to see who's saying hello to. And I forgot to ask everyone. Good morning. There's uh, Donna, a regular presenter. And I'm just going to uh, just put in. Yeah. I should have put this in earlier. There we go. And uh, just a reminder for those that are here. So hello, everybody uh, that's uh, coming on board right now. Fabulous. Um, now, this session, as it's about OM, I gather most of us think of OM as uh, being from a tree language. Uh, am I right? So I thought that before I move into OM, I would start by looking at some known mythological examples of where the trees have been used for prophecy and divination. Now, even going starting with the Bible, in Isaiah there's verses foretelling the return of the Lord, where desert wilderness became fruitful 
and the fruit bearers um, became a forest. And there's an artist's impression of that. And for what is written, um, it seems that Jesus regarded as a temple was a wooded grove. It wasn't a built church that we're familiar with. It was always heading to the wooden groves. And even as he uh, entered in Jerusalem, it was a road that people covered with tree branches because that was his sanctuary, I assume. So there seems to be divination and prophecy wrapped up just in those uh, stories alone. And I'm trying to avoid politics, discrimination, and favoritism here, as I usually do on uh, the Sunday sessions. But since about 1900, the people in Israel, they have actually planted over 250 million trees on what was desert. And those forests are thriving, and a lot of the trees are feeding the people. And I try not to be political and religious, but my own belief is there's no singular Lord Christ, etc., is going to actually emerge from a forest. But if that's what you believe is a worthy symbol to follow, just like what I'm going to speak with this divination using the orm. But I do um, believe the lives and living within a forest, and certainly 250 million trees, this is over a desert, must surely propagate and serve life much more than the desert it was there before. So therefore, I feel that uh, 250 million tree planting is magnificent and quite a miracle, and even a prophecy revealed, even if it was uh, motivated um, by human desire. So why Israel? I don't want to go there, as I feel that there's actually a same story if we looked in several places around the world, and we just may not have heard of them yet. So, um, but Israel does have its tree planting festival day, and it follows their own calendar, not the um, uh, not the Gregorian Pope Gregory one that we do today. So their festivals lands between January and February. It's a different date according to our calendar every year. Uh, is that the Tuba Shavat or Rosh Hashanah, something like that? So apologies to any Jewish faith people who I seem to be abusing there. Anyway, uh, the one thing I love is in Israeli folklore, there's a belief that uh, the children, that they are the children from a tree ancestor. And um, as I've mentioned in previous uh, Sunday sessions, the Malaysians who came to Ireland and they pushed the Tour de Don and into the underworld, they were the sons of Mill, um, and they're said to be the grandsons of Billy. And Billy, as I've mentioned before, was half man and half hazel. So that was their grandfather. He was half a tree. So hence why it's now said that the Irish people are a forest people without a forest. Now, it's not understood how the Malaysian soon-to-be Gaelic people were contributors to the uh, eventual Orm, but it seems they certainly carried and shared a tree language of some form. Um, excuse me, I've got a dry throat here. And now, so the origins of tree language, especially the Malaysians, is pretty uncertain. But the word gale has definitely stepped down from a phrase that describes people of the trees. And uh, this is where, uh, given a bit, uh, since Katie's not here, let's see if I can get Katie's. Uh, there you go. If you want to find out about Katie, we'll get her on sometime. And this is where I will reference uh, Katie Holton's lovely interpretation. 
Um, because Katie, she reminds us, uh, I hope you've got that down because I'm going to go back to the pictures here. Uh, she reminds us of the recent popular fascination, well, a few years now, that people are fascinated about looking into the underground network of roots and fungi, of uh, everything in the, the forest talking to each other as a network. And it causes trees to communicate, protect each other, and conduct all kinds of balance uh, underground. So when trees, uh, they come up for the light from the ground, they're suddenly individual and they're growing up uh, towards the light. And likewise, when own scribing is done, it's also from the ground upwards. And there's a lovely illustration, I think, of Ohm uh, that uh, is almost like tree branches. Look at that with, uh, well, tree trunks with branches uh, coming up. And, and it's actually, when you read the Ohm, it's from the ground upwards. So in a way, that gives you a link to its whole tree thing. And all of the letter symbols, as, as I was saying, are all on the same trunk. You know, there's a sentence there sort of thing, and it's on, all on the same trunk. Anyway, I better get on with focusing on more about the Oum. Um, probably uh, translates from the word Ogium, uh, which means a point seam. And this is from a pick stone, and there you see point seam it's sort of description of uh, cutting in. Let's see if I can get you some uh, uh, spellings for that. Uh, I did put something up. There you go, if you want to take that down. And uh, to explain point seam, I need to link up with the Germanic rune translations. And hence, there's, there's certainly no cues in, uh, in our uh, Irish translations. It's in the Orm, there's cues. Uh, some people put a K in, so there's some kind of letters, Latinized, uh, Norsey kind of, Germanic anyway, that's uh, put in uh, with uh, the arm. So it gets confusing when you actually match it up uh, to the Irish and the Gaelic. But Ulm seems to be a language deliberately disguised from the Romans, totally different to anything the Romans had, and uh, certainly from any Latin readers. So... It, it had its own elite in a way. It wasn't of the big sort of accumulating elite, but it was sort of an elite amongst the peasantry, the heathens or whatever you want to call them. So, but something similar to the Orm symbols was certainly a language of the farming, the settled farming pig people. And even today, as Katie Holton points out, Orm is still not taught in our schools. The Irish is taught, but the Irish is taught as a linear language. There isn't a language is being taught from the ground up. So a way that takes us away from association from trees, it takes children away from that association of how to actually use the trees as a form of saying something. And education, even the Irish language, it all uses Latin symbols, all in a linear line. Now, the best compromise, my, it, it does exist. It's in Scotland, and it's in the old Gaelic. Uh, the old Gaelic, the Gaelic there. And that's uh, taught in Scotland. And when it's taught, it has 18 letters in their alphabet. And all those 18 letters, the children at the school, I hope they still do it, uh, but they recite them as trees. It's uh, 18 trees. And that's how they learn uh, the language there. Now, my own introduction, my first introduction to OM, it was nearly 50 years ago. And it was actually... 
I get back to my picture collection. It's actually on Iona. And uh, it's where I was told it's where the gales met the pits. Uh, when this happened, uh, I'm not sure. That was a favorite spot of mine on Iona. Was it in Column Kill's time? Was it in Oren's time? Who the hell was Oren anyway? Was he a druid? A story saying that he was a druid that was actually on Iona who greeted Column Keel and taught his ways and then they exchanged the ways. Others say that he was uh, in a monastery from Limerick and he got together with Column Keel in Derry and they went off the boat together. But there again, um, did the uh, Gales meet the Picts well before Column Keel arrived? And did Oren, if he was on Iona, did he actually inherit that wisdom? The story I was told was when the Gale, the Gales had the oral language that they shared, and it was weaving the interpretation of the trees. And, to, and I'm going to have a full summary of this a bit later. But this is how they explain things. And of course, as I often say, in those days, the concept of thin things were minor. We're always talking of things. It seems if something isn't a thing now, and we can't label it and put it in a file, it doesn't exist. But it, with the ancient people, it was all about the experiences of living. So things were kind of a sideline. And this is where a tree language is very, very useful if we actually uh, had that in abundance. Meanwhile, the Picts, they had their point system, uh, the carved language. This is the, um, oh, this is a Pigstone Aberdeen shear. Um, I forget the name of it now. It's one of the most, there's not much um, Omi style on this. I should have put the Brandybutt stone on, but anyway, this would do. Picardi, this is the Picardi stone. And if you can't see it, here's the sort of board uh, they have uh, next to that. And uh, there are similarities, and I think it inspired the Owen that we see today. And I was told that the two languages came together as a kind of a peace pact. So they were the stories I picked up. They were a peace pact of connection between the Picts and the Gales and what became our... Um, Alba, and that went on to become Scotland after Scotia, after it was named moving from what was Ireland, its name. Now, the result of this language merging was the ability of the Gaels to actually archive this tree language that they spoke and shared. They couldn't exactly put a bunch of trees together, and I suppose they didn't think of drawing tree trees and merging them together in the clever way that uh, the Owen does. So they suddenly, through this pact with the Picts, had a way of archiving what they spoke from their tree language. And that would have been incredibly revolutionary. And so a lot of their language before they could do the archive was probably very much on prophecy, on divination, I believe. It would have to be because it was predicting the situations uh, that they were in. So this is more likely, uh, this emergence, I think, happened during Columkill's time, uh, as he was quite a pioneer in the medieval uh, scribing. And so there he is. I've, I've gone ahead of myself. So there he is. That's sort of an artist's impression of Columkill, uh, where the, uh, the scribing. I was worked on Iona. I don't think it was quite like that, but I like the picture. But scribing then, if you think about it, it was a revolution. It was a major thing that's as big as the digital age that we've come into since the 90s, especially uh, that's with us now. And even so, it's uncertain that Colin Keel was a pioneer in 
translating old Irish tales. He might have, um, <coughs> excuse, he might have picked them up as uh, own symbols and then Latinized them uh, by using the Latinized alphabet, put them into a linear. He might have limited himself to 20 letters, not the 26 letters we use in the alphabet today. And as I mentioned earlier, the medieval scribing was linear. The Latin was linear, just like how we write today. And even in the book of Ballymolt, uh, 14th century, down the road from where I live, they've even put the Ormond linear there. Look at that. It's not from the ground up. Uh, the scribe has made it into linear uh, there. Uh, so it was not from a, uh, the group up, like growing a tree. Uh, the the uh, Again, I just have to keep coming back to this picture. I love this. That uh, Whoever drew that, brilliant. Um, anyway, there's a lot of tourism trinkets as well that have the arm scribed linear, which is a shame. But this um, linear Latin language uh, was actually reduced to 18 letters, as I say, with the garlic, uh, and all named after trees. So that's the garlic today. Now, Colum Keel, um, did he translate anything into branches, I wonder? That's a huge question I have. Uh, well, through folklore, it seems that Colin Kiel at least was familiar with the orm, and especially with sounds. It was said that each of the orm symbols that you see there were actually, they actually had a sound to them. You actually sang the orm. You didn't speak it. It's as if language anyway, the language of trees, maybe from the gales, the way they communicated. It wasn't just on a mundane sort of thing like I'm talking to you now. They probably sang, uh, and it's like there was four scales. Uh, so there's a sound applied to each. But there's a famous story of Colin Kill killing, uh, killing, copying a book of Psalms that was owned by a teacher, St. Fidian. And uh, he was an abbot at Moville, which is now Newton Arts, uh, the north of Strangford Lock uh, in County Down in Northern Ireland. And there's a ruin, uh, a pink drawing of the ruin of the monastery uh, of St. Finian. And there's the what remains today. And they're trying to uh, do some of it up. But um, Finian objected to Colin Keel making this copy. It's a long uh, tale. I'm not going to tell it today. But uh, the court in Tara, Colin Keel unfortunately had it handed back to uh, because it was the first copyright trial, apparently. And so he had to give it back to St. Finian. And that, plus a load of other instances, created the Battle of the Books, which was below Ben Bourbon in Sligo, about 25 kilometers uh, from here. Uh, that's a big uh, drama in itself. And, and that, the battle itself, because he inspired it, it brought Colum Kill back to the court in Tara. He was actually, uh, there was a deal done where he was actually given the book back. And uh, there is a cassock, it's called now. And he was ordered to go to what's now Scotland. There was the trouble whether Del, uh, Del Rado, where they're trying to uh, bring a section of what's now Scotland into sort of Northern Irish domain. And he had to go there to convert 2,000 souls, bring the peace in what's now uh, Scotland. And uh, the psalm book uh, that Colin Kill copied is said to have included all symbols. And uh, this was what unique about This is why he wanted it. He was familiar with the Orm. And uh, he wanted the symbols to see how to sing the Psalms. 
Um, and he thought that somehow someone had worked out how the Psalms were sung using the sounds of the Om. So, as I say, eventually this, uh, the book there was got back to his Donegal family, and they actually used it as a, a battle mascot for hundreds of years. But then, did the book he copied at Moville? Did it actually go? To, did this actually go to Iona with him for, um, to help him with the Latin transcribing? I don't know. Now, there's another question about the legendary Ulmer, and now that comes into this uh, because Ulmer, uh, they said he created the Ulmer language and he taught it as a sign language because uh, what have we got the ten fingers. And through manipulation, we soon get, you can make the 20 symbols of the OM. But um, so I say that OM had taught the sign language way back 4,000 years ago, in, right into the Bronze Age. Now, OM was the Tour de Danon, and they're said to be a farming culture, not a tree culture. And the Tour de Danon, they were actually clearing trees away so that they could actually grow their cereal crops and graze their cattle. So they were doing more of that than actually growing trees. So a tree language amongst the two of the Danon, or Donan was probably very unlikely. So what did Oma teach? Uh, was it something like what the latter pigs were doing, carving out stone? Here's an artist's impression of uh, Oma picking away there uh, at some stone to create some language. But there's no actual evidence of pre-Christian Orm's style language, no actual evidence. It's just in story and folklore. Yet similar scripted language of similar to Orm has been discovered not long ago in China, and this was 5,000 years old. So it was around in some style. But Orm pre-medieval Christian, as I say, is speculation. It's great wonder for us and a great source of storytelling. And I'm convinced there were ancient tree relationship languages, though. That I'm definitely got a strong feeling for. And I, so I love the new interpretation by Katie Holden here. And it reminds us of this tree language inheritance that is stuck within our psyche. And I feel that visualization as tree language inspires a wonderful sense of divining, present, presence, and prophecy. So now I think I better go on to speaking about Robert Graves. People were talking to me about this yesterday. Because Robert Graves, he, uh, he's got this famous 1948 book that you're probably all extremely familiar with, um, The White Goddess. Uh, and this was a huge foundation as well to Gerald, Gerald Gardner find, found there being the founder of the Wiccan movement. And the, the Wiccan movement was instrumental for, for the modern paganism movement during the 50s. Now, Robert Graves, he included lots of his views about Orm in his White Goddess book. And this included belief that Orm origins are from the European Gauls from around 600 BC. And like I was saying about the Orm with the sign language, that's what he said, the Gauls actually duplicated a language that was a sign language. And duplicating language was a big thing because families had their grunts and groans and ways of speaking to each other. But they might have had a problem speaking to their neighbors because they might have a different language. Uh, one of the things when the colonials arrived in Australia and, and started to communicate uh, with the Aborigines there, they found that the Aborigines had hundreds and hundreds of languages. So what the need was between people 
is actually to have a language that people could duplicate, learn, duplicate, and there'd be wider sharing of what people are trying to say. And of course, the more people get to say things, then the language moves, I think, from feelings and conditions into talking about things. Anyway, it was um, the sign language itself. Most historical scholars have actually dismissed uh, uh, graves as being complete nonsense. But what could be the earliest known archived indication of ancient um, uh, is actually in the ninth century scribe story. And I have, sorry, I don't know who did it, but it's about the uh, wooing of Eden. And in this, a druid called Dallin, he conducted some on divination with some sticks to reveal where Midder was hiding Eden. So in the uh, book of Ballymote, if I can bring it up, in, and this, is, this was in 1390, the book of Ballymote, there's pages featured the linear organ, oem that I, I showed you a bit earlier. And there's this uh, diagram, it's called Fionn's Window. This is an artist's impression putting it onto white paper. So that's Fionn's uh, window. And Fionn uh, actually means bard. Um, let's see if I can bring uh, some things up. Because I tell a lot of stories of Fionn's and Finn's. And there's uh, Fionn, Finn uh, being a bard. And in most of the stories, it's a bard that's wooing a woman. I wish I could tell you one or two now, but I really don't have the time. Uh, and But how this appears, uh, how this actually applies to Finn McCool or Finn McCool, a warrior leader, I'm not sure. Um, that's a, a mystery in its own right. Maybe his main job was to memorize the battle stories more than actually lead them. But uh, come, 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 uh, let's see if I got some more spelling. Thing. Uh, so Finn McCall, uh, left is a sort of regular spelling, and call and call. Uh, also, uh, Cool in, in the left spelling is, is also a kind of um, description. I'm trying to get the picture up of a boar, and there's lots of stories with Finn McCall and boars, wild boars. Uh, and then Col that actually means infinite wisdom. Um, but Fionn itself uh, can actually mean blonde, fair, handsome. But I think that comes out of the uh, bard stories of uh, wooing the women. Uh, do I have a bard wooing women here? I think I I might do. There we go. There's a bard wooing some women there. <laughs> okay, uh, move on. Um, at this point, maybe I, uh, I ought to describe what we call today seers, prophets, sages, ovates, and diviners, and how they came into being. Now, at some point in ancient times, there was one leader, a chieftain, a king, and the main quality of that position was to be a prophet. And uh, included with this was the need to be an inspired bard, a teacher, a logistics person, a mediator in courts, an ambassador, and uh, a medicine person on top of all that. So that's, uh, that's a bit of a tall order, isn't it? So in Ireland, about 1000 uh, BC, it said that an Irish king, Olafolla, he thought this was all too much, so he appointed a second high order person that we have since called uh, Druid. And here's uh, one art artist's impression. A bit sinister, isn't it? But that's an artist's impression of a Druid there. And the Druid took over the prophecy, divination, teaching, barding, and medicine, 
while the High King handled the legislation, court mediation, logistics, being an ambassador, and maybe, unfortunately, being a war leader. And then later, the Druids themselves thought they were on, had too much, so they split their load by appointing and training a bard who took over as prophet and messenger while the Druid held on to the responsibilities of divination, uh, being a seer, teaching, and medicine. And then later, the do I have something on this? The bard uh, became an ove or a seer and appointed someone else. To, uh, there's a searing bard, uh, but appointed someone else to be the bard who actually was the traveling messenger for the ove druid and king. So this is this is getting all complicated now, isn't it? Um, but for the rest of the session, I will stick to the deeds of the ove seers and diviners. But it's interesting to think that in ancient times. What would be a priest today and a microbiologist today was once the same person. Can you imagine that today, a priest who developed vaccines and inoculated the parish? Maybe so. Um, but that, uh, that's the way it seemed to go anyway. Uh, so back to Fionn's window. And that's an indication to me of the use of Orm. And also going back to Robert Graves and his White Goddess book from the late 40s, it seems to be where modern Orm prophecy and divination seems to have been seeded, especially by the works of Gardner and the Wickers. Uh, so the prophecy uh, that we use today, and, and it seems to be, whereas a lot of things I talk about seem to have been seeded in the Celtic Romance time of the 19th century, the actual prophecy side and the way it's done now, I think comes from the 50s. And I know my family on my father's side, they were bonkers about it. Because uh, they'd been, uh, you know, they were part of the Celtic Romantics way back in the 1900s. They'd been passing it down uh, through many uh, generations. Anyway, as I mentioned with the White Goddess book, Graves devoted a few chapters to the Orm folklore. And many have dismissed uh, the Graves approach as just poetic speculation. What's wrong with poetic speculation? I do it all the time. But as people criticize with me, where's your references? He was so gross. Graves uh, brought, he brought fresh attention to the OM as a prophecy and divination tool. And this was adopted by many Wicca followers during the 50s, beyond, and especially through the social media today. So OM divination seems to become a huge study amongst Wiccans, but I'm speculating because I've not studied Wicca myself. Uh, I mentioned my family, they just picked up on bits of it. They had their own ways of doing things. The locals used to call them the cunning ones. Anyway, so and I've, I've just spoken to a few Wicca followers about this. That's my reference. Anyway, shortly, and she's waiting patiently uh, in the green room there. I'm going to be talking to the very wise Dana Driscoll. And we could talk about many incredible things, but today it's about her beautiful Torah of Trees set, how she created this and why she created it. So, um, Look forward to that. I'll get around to it as soon as possible. First, I'm going to refer to my own almost tale of the trees in my own bathing in the phase breath book. Uh, uh, some of you people, beautiful people there, have got. And I think I better take a break to actually see what you beautiful people are doing. I've been ignoring you today. Um, and there's a Sherry there, lovely day on the coast of Maine, lovely to see. And uh, Shell, lovely to see you again. Kimberly, we got the uh, the clan definitely here. 
popping over from the YouTube channel. Thank you, Kimberly. Yes, there's a nice screen for both. That'd be fascinating. Uh, yes, thank you for being on board uh, today. Uh, this is quite a specialized thing today, isn't it? Uh, lovely that you're all here. So anyway, I'm going to refer to, uh, as I say, all my own, this is my interpretation through my bathing in the phase breath book. Um, and uh, if you were interested in the phase breath book, I've got something here uh, to tell you where to pop along and have a look at it. Let's see, we've got, there was all and follow if we wanted the spelling there. And here's Phase Breath. It has its own website. There you go. Now, before that, um, before I get on to that, let's consider how the approach to divination with tree and own symbols uh, takes place. Back to the photo gallery. Uh, very common is the use of own divination sticks, and that seems to be inspired to me by the use of the I Ching and the Yarrow. And um, uh, the Chinese thing, and that goes back really into ancient times, doesn't it? Uh, I do not actually have a set of um, uh, sticks myself, um, uh, as I'm not really into that style of divination. Um, my father's family, they deeply were, and it's very, and it's very popular, but uh, I can't explain why. The other tool is more modest: the use of tree or um, divination cards. Uh, a bit like a simple tarot form. And uh, I have the Celtic Tree Oracle here by Sherilyn Hildalgo. I, I was going to show you it, but I've got it in a, my kind of bookshelf. I forgot to bring it out for you. But uh, no, yeah, I got the wrong. Yes, no, it's this one. Sorry. <laughs> I was sorry about that, Dana. I was showing Dana's card there. It's a... Uh, well, Sherilyn, uh, she was going to be on today as well, but unfortunately, uh, she's gone into retreat, so we haven't got her. But if you want to look up what she does, I got a, a wee kind of link there as well. And this is her. She's the Alchemal Healing Art. She has the card set. It's actually a very beautiful card set, and uh, she has a support book as well. Uh, all right. And um, and as I was, uh, Sharon actually visited Karakori and we walked from local woods, shared story. And as I say, it's a shame she's not a guest. Her approach is very different to mine. Uh, but soon we're going to have Dana here to remind you she's there patiently waiting. That's one of hers from a beautiful set of uh, the latest edition of Oracle cards. And uh, uh, to use divination sticks, there we go. Some. Uh, there's some own divination sticks or cards. There's one very simple practice, and uh, it's focused on the modern Druid's symbol of the Awen or Uwen or even Awen, uh, the three rays there. And uh, some call these uh, three rays uh, mind, body, and spirit, land, sea, and sky, love, wisdom, and truth, maiden, mother, and crone, birth, life, and rebirth past, present, and future, ancestry, divination, and prophecy. I like that one myself. And the one I use such a lot is the sorrow, joy, and dreaming. So you might have another three as well, but that's my listing uh, of the three rare. 
So randomly pick three sticks or three cards, lay them out like the druid uh, three rays, uh, someone with cards, and then speak the story that comes to you. I, as I say, I like the idea of one card being of the ancestry that's bringing up to this moment, the middle card of being your presence, and then the map of the journey ahead of you. And if I do that, I think those three cards are pretty handy for that. So the story of what was, wisdom acquired, what is, and the map of what is ahead. So now I'm going to take you on an adventure through my 20 symbols that I present through the, um, as I say, the almost tale of the trees within my bathing in the phase breath book. And now this, this journey is presented as a cycle of our human life and its rites of passage, as if our life has four seasons like the four seasons of the year, and each one is an acme. Uh, let's see if I can get you a story. Uh, let's get you a spelling up for that. that. That's what I'm talking about. I've got the pronunciation right. Anyway, that's what uh, we're going to go through here. And um, I'm going to bring this up because uh, there's a lot of uh, old symbols done by um, Spiral Path Designs, a fantastic uh, job. Um, now each acme has five symbols, five notes, just like a pentatonic scale of ancient music and chanting. I wish I had more time to talk about those because it adds harmony to this whole divination experience. And added to this, I've added the practice of those who like to take 13 of the own symbols, like Graves and Gardner, and actually turn the symbols into a, a, an annual. Uh, oh, careful. Uh, so into, oh, sorry, I'm feeling a bit odd, uh, into an annual uh, cycle. Mine is a life, 13 individual divisions, like the 13 moon cycles, but on fixed dates, but not actual moon dates of the year. I'm not a believer of that, but many are. So I'm going through the 20 symbols, listing 20 sets of keyword conditions that you can use during your stick divinations or card oracles. And added to these uh, three, I'm going to add the three date months of the year where appropriate. And I've included also the nine woods of fire burning ritual. Now, next year, I'm going to have them in my course. But now's a follow-up with reference. Uh, so post in the comments. Here we go. Um, as I say, Melina Rooney, the jester of Spiral Path Designs, visited the Karakrori, and she did all these designs. Oh, you must excuse me. I'm actually feeling a bit dizzy for some reason. Anyway, uh, the first acme is our spring, individuality, our birth. And here's the first one coming up. And we have Beth the Birch. For, uh, for annual cycle readers, that's 24th of December to 20th of January. Use the birch for sticks, for burning, for purification, new starts. It's the first note of our budding, blossoming spring representative of birthing, bringing new life onto this earth, and lovely keywords are rebirth, change, purification, pioneering, and brushing away negativity. And next, we have Lush the Rowan, the annual cycle for uh, people who like the annual cycle, 21st of January to 17th of February. And uh, further stakes for calling upon goddesses and the she to be present and to give a calming present. 
representative of loving. It's the second note of our budding, blossoming string. A discovery of unconditional love and passion on earth. Uh, Keywords being intuition, inspiration, insight, protection from enchantment, sanctuary, goddess garden over hearth fires, guys meditation within court circles and blessings. And here we have Fern the Order uh, for the annual cycle readers. That's 18th of March to 14th of April. Burn the sticks for prophecy and forgiveness. Uh, Keywords, sensing, third note of our budding, blossoming of spring, discovering how senses respond to the elements. And keywords uh, in your cards, ongoing, evolving spirit. Bridge between people, bridge between situations, eliminator of divisions, and the inner voice of reason. And here we have Sally the Willow. Uh, for the annual cycle readers, it's 15th of April to 12th of May. Burn the sticks for cleansing, confidence, and trust. Representative of balancing the fourth note of our budding, blossoming spring. Use the sticks burn for experiencing and accepting the ebbs and flows of our sorrows and joy. Uh, lovely keywords for your cards and sticks. Healing, therapy, nursing, baptism, weaving, repairing, and awareness of the cycles. And uh, let's see if I can get him on the... No, that's for the order. Whoops, I'm trying to get... There he is. Uh, or she. Knowing the ash. For the annual cycle readers, 18th of February to 17th of March. Burn the sticks for inviting people to be, come together. Uh, keyword for accepting the fifth note of our budding, blossoming string. Spring, learning tolerance and forgiveness as the conduit between the ego and connection, our connection of the inner self to mature, uh, connection to inner self to nature. I mean, linear thinking to whole thinking. Journey from isolation to community, a healer of anxiety to returning harmony, and an awareness of our consequences and our karma. And now I'm going to move uh, on into the second ACME here, uh, which is about our summer, our life summer, and relating to our fruiting. And I'm kicking off here with, uh, no, I should have one before that. Whoa, where is it? Uh, that's the one we need. Who are the Hawthorne? For annual cycle readers, 13th of May to 19th of June. Uh, fire burning, uh, burn the sticks to inspire closeness and intimacy and bonded fellowship. Uh, key word is mating. Uh, the first note of our fruiting summer. A time of flirting, courting and mischief. And the key words being lustiness, innocence, conduits to the fae and the she-world, conception self-defense, heart's ease, and vision. And here we have Door of the Oak for the annual cycle readers, 10th of June to 7th of July, fire burning for successful outcome of trading uh, and having meetings to inspire compromise. The key word being accountability. It's all about accountability. The second note of our fruiting summer, about being present to all things around us at all time. Keywords of strength, confidence, balance, fair trade, durability, and unity. 
And then we're on to Tin the Holly, the annual cycle readers, 8th of July to 4th of August. Burn the sticks for protection and preventing distraction. It's uh, uh, all about courage, the third note of our fruiting summer, being honest with our affirmations and our prayers. Keywords, service, protection, bravery, endurance, and prevent our hearts ruling our heads. Cole Hazel, my own favorite one, the annual cycle readers, 5th of August to 1st of September. Burn the sticks for vision and wisdom. And that is the last of the fire-burning uh, ritual woods. Uh, and, and that comes with a climax too. Uh, the key for nourishing, the fourth note of our fruiting summer, giving and receiving nourishment beyond food, divination, enlightenment, wisdom over knowledge, synthesis, mediumship, our muse, mentoring, and teaching. And then we go on to quirt the apple, who's no sticks, no burning, no, and it's not on the calendar, but definitely about connecting the fifth note of our fruiting summer, accepting our inspirations and dreams as our guide for wishes, for prayers, Remember, when you're biting an apple and the nectar coming out, the affirmations, the vision quest, the wonder, the visualization, the psychic connection, vision awareness, and the elimination of fear, of fear like putting apples under the pillow at Halloween. And uh, moving on to Moo and the Vine, something less of favorite. We're on to the third acme now. This is our autumn, our harvest. And uh, for the annual cycle readers, we're back onto that. Second of December, uh, sorry, second of September to 29th of September. All about flowing. The first note of our harvest autumn is allowing our dreams to manifest in a make, uh, waking world. It's about the key words, truth, prophecy, inhibition, uh, openness, honesty, lessons learned, dream interpretation, and journaling and on to go at the ivy for the annual cycle readers that's 30th of september to 27th of october all about trusting and it's the second note of our harvesting autumn it's about becoming aware of our unseen spirit guide and about support cooperation partnership fair play the tantric slowdown and sensing of everything opening the chakras and witnessing the spirals unraveling. And then we're away from a tree. We've got to Natalie uh, the Reed uh, for the annual cycle readers. I think this is our, uh, 28th of October to 23rd of November. Uh, all about instinct, the third note of our harvesting autumn. Trusting the responses that come from our affirmations and prayers. All about our response to prayers and wishes, music, vibrations, resonance, harmonics, sequences, also fair leadership and reconciliations. Shreffler Blackthorn. Uh, I love the stories on that one. Anyway, all about keyed on surrender, fourth note of our harvesting autumn, awareness of our egos and the balance placed in all situations, key of our underworld, our triumph over adversity, Prone guidance, transition now, transitions from darkness to light, letting go, going with the flow. I hope I'm not too fast with you on this. I'm trying to get <laughs> on to getting Dana on as soon as possible in the next couple of minutes. But anyway, we've got Rush the Elder, 
And for annual readers, this is 24th of November to 23rd of December. And that is now completing the annual cycle, but we've got a few more. Representative of our conscience, uh, the fifth note of our harvesting autumn, listening to our inner voice that guides us through our choices, keying in rejuvenation, maturity, our pure be breathing, and being childlike without being childish, all about our renewed excitement and vitality and wonder. So finally, onto the fourth acme, our winter and our divinity. And we kick that off with Alan the Pine, some people say Elm, is of service, the first note of our transforming winter, our enter into our divinity, discovering our true home from which to serve from. Keywords of clear vision, understanding boundaries, perception of accumulating the individual with the whole. They can see the two uh, together. And then on to the gauze, um, the furs. Um, there we go, all in the gauze, uh, all around revelation, the second note of our transforming winter, detoxing our soul so our visions become clearer. Keywords, clearing the deadwood in our lives for a new life, replacing toxicity with a fertile, sustainability, perseverance, focusing on journeys before our destination and the sharing of gifts. And uh, this is the one I love, the other the heather, um, about clarity, the third note of our transforming winter, a clear vision of our quest to serve, Key wording of messaging, clairvoyance, de-stressing, ambience, a focused mind, good memories, and generosity and encouragement. And then Ada the Poplar, a lot of you will be thinking of Aspen here, all about transparency, the fourth note of our transforming winter, becoming at one with all things and owner of none, all about strong wheel, being fearless, protection, resilience, and last but not least, uh, the powerful one, the idea of the you, the you, um, all about wisdom, the fifth note of our transforming winter, becoming attuned to cycles and resurrection, not thinking in terms of beginnings and ends, but looking at the spirals and the cycles. So this is all about regeneration, embracing change, even immortality, and unleashing your beliefs. And to wrap this all up, Melina uh, Spiral Designs, she puts together in her own version of the Fion window. So I hope that all made some sense to you all uh, in the divination realm. Um, I, I'll move all this into my uh, She Water and Tree Folklore course, and I'll make a temporary link before then uh, so you can follow this up because I did have to rush through it. But now it's time to bring on Dana at last. She's been so patient there. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my uh, headphones here so I can actually hear what Dana's saying, get those into my ears. And uh, what Dana fits into her life is absolutely stunning. Uh, I don't know how she does it. Um, she um, perhaps best known for a very generous and popular popular Druid garden blog. I'm always putting links to that in various articles. And I love this. And I ask, always ask how anybody can call themselves a Druid uh, if they 
if they if they can't actually get their hands dirty. How can you be a druid if you can't get your hands dirty in a garden or go out and forage or at least climb trees? So Dana's also very involved with all those, I think, and the crafts of rituals and ceremony. And on top of that, it's very busy as a university professor. And remarkably, Dana has time to come on board, listening to me blab away for about an hour, and she's created her own unique tarot of trees. And I've uh, invited her along to introduce you all. So at last, hello and welcome to Dana. Hello there. Let's see hello. if we... Hello. Hi. Hi. I think I can hear you. I, I yeah. hope my volume hasn't uh, gone up uh, too much. So uh, this is fabulous to have you aboard. And uh, I'm not going to do much chat because I'd love you to actually introduce your uh, Tarot of Trees. I know this is a new edition you've come out, and I love the old one and the artwork you put together. So do tell us something about how this evolved uh, and tell everyone here. Be fabulous. Thanks. Um, hi, everybody. Thank you for uh, listening. Um, so the Tarot of Trees is a project that I actually conceived of because I wanted to learn how to do the tarot and I wasn't connecting with the energies of the tarot that were full of people. Um, I come from Western Pennsylvania in the United States and um, this particular region of the country is what I can only describe as an extraction zone. You know, there's tons of logging, we have terrible fracking, we have acid mining, all of these things. And so, um, one of the things that I decided to do was sort of think about how to bring a vision of a more rejuvenated earth to life. And that ended up being the Tarot of Trees. Um, I actually have here, I have both the first edition, which is tiny. Um, <laughs> I, I came in this little box um, and this was actually published, self-published in 2009. And um, I'm kind of actually amazed because this was originally a project that I was doing primarily as a spiritual exploration. And then the more that I shared it, people were like, oh yeah, we really want, we, we want this. Um, so it's actually in its fourth edition. This is the new fourth edition. Um, we actually did a 10th anniversary edition of it. Um, and actually we're working on the fifth edition now because this is already half sold out, um, which is gonna go back to the smaller regular size. Um, so yeah, so this is um, the new edition. Um, and we actually did it almost to the, I, I painted it a little bit larger than this. Um, but you can kind of see it's it's pretty big and bulky um, and there are no people at all in this deck um, It really is just sort of a joyful expression of nature and of the trees um, And one of the things I wanted to share with you is though although it's a tarot. So these are the 78 tarot cards four suits um, done in um, the style of the elements and of the season so the aces are all um, I think you guys can see that the aces are all in the spring, a couple of the aces. Um, and uh, sorry, the aces, the cups are all in the spring, still early here. The wands are all in summer. Um, that's the ace of wands. So three of wands. And the um, swords are all in the fall. Um, so there's the two of swords. Um, and then finally, the pentacles are all in the winter. Um, so I'll find you a couple of those, some pentacles for you. Um, and then I also have included, um, two additional cards, which I think really speak to some of the deeper meanings of the deck. Um, the first is regeneration, which I actually added in the third edition, which we published, I want to say in 2017, maybe 20, 
16, somewhere in there. Um, and this is really a card speaking to the idea of permaculture, the idea of us as humans as being a force of good in the world, not just being, you know, there's this narrative right now that everything that we do is somehow wrong, or I can do less, I can do less bad, but I can't do good. And I really want to dissuade people of that because I really think that we actually as humans can do good. And there's a lot of techniques out there if we just learn them. Um, and the final card that we just added for this edition is called Roots, um, which is really thinking about finding our grounding. And it's interesting because we published this in early 2020, sort of before <laughs> everything went crazy. Um, but I think that this card is particularly useful for this time. Um, and so that's a little bit about the tarot of trees um, and kind of, you know, thinking about some of the background of it. But I, I think I really want to stress the, the message of this deck is sort of this idea of a healed and regenerated world um, in that we have, you know, we're thinking about any kind of tree work, whether that's working with OM, whether that's working with developing a local OM for those of us who are not in the British Isles, um, thinking about how do we build deep connections and relationships with trees and how do we, um, how do we connect with them, but also how do we reciprocate? So it's not enough for me to go out to my ancient oak, which is actually right outside my house, um, and say, thank you, ancient oak. I'm going to pick up some of your acorns. I'm going to turn them into flower. Um, it's about me saying, what can I give back? How can I live my life in a way that is honoring and respectful? How do I reciprocate with these trees and build and cultivate deep relationships with them? Um, and so that's really what the tarot of trees is about and thinking through our relationship with the natural world and creating it in a way that is reciprocal and not just the narrative that Western society has given us, which is all taking and taking. Um, so there, I think that's, that's your intro. That's, that's, <laughs> that's wonderful. wonderful. Now, why am I echoing? Um, there we go. Uh, the one thing that I loved about that is you saying that you've done something for the people with trees in the United States. And that was a lovely sort of reminder to myself. I talk away about the OM. The OM is familiar in Scotland, certainly uh, UK, very much in Ireland where it's fixed. But of course, in different countries, people have their different trees. And what that reminded me when uh, Claire, Claire Roach, partner and myself, we were in the USA, we took a break and we went to a, uh, an exhibition in Milwaukee where they actually had the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. And the whole idea of the exhibition of that was, is okay, you're looking at one translation of the Bible. It's not the only one. And all the other translations, well, you know, they're different, but they're for the people of using. And right at the end of the exhibition, they had asked children to actually create their own Bibles. And it was their own expression. And I think the important point is, you know, as much as I talk about the OM and the different approaches that people follow, the courses they go, uh, the... Um, the books they may read, that it's it, in the end when you're confident about it, and that's very much part of divination, is use the trees around you and don't be afraid to use that as your oracle. And I love the way you've approached that uh, through yours. That's how you see the trees. People will share that, and it's a lovely kind of apprenticeship, I find. And I love that about that uh, with uh, what you've done there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually really important work for us. Um, so for example, thinking about the OM, this is actually an in-progress project. This is going to be my next Oracle deck, which is all e uh, trees that have been printed 
sorry, the glare is a little weird. Trees that have been printed in the um, from my local ecosystem. So um, here's like hickory and ash and willow. Um, but I think that it's really important because you know, like I started really getting into deep tree magic maybe like 15 years ago, and I was like, wow, I've never met a blackthorn. I have no idea <laughs> what this tree is. Like. <laughs> And it becomes really hard for for somebody who's in a different part of the world to say, well, what what would that equivalent be, and what does that do in my ecosystem? So I actually work with two trees that, you know, I go back and forth on. Um, I don't have black locust on my land, but I have uh, devil's walking stick on my land, and it's really come to the point where I'm like, okay, these I think embody the energy, and then maybe someday I'll get to visit an actual blackthorn and see if I'm right. Um, but I do think it's really important that we think about how do we translate the system that was embodied in one place and think about what does it do um in a different in a different place um, or something like maple or hickory those are really dominant really important trees on our ecosystem um cedar is another one and for me you know i try to replace some of those with trees that are um some of the trees that i've never met spindle blackthorn are two examples with trees that are local and really dominant in my ecosystem ah oh, fabulous uh, the uh, yeah, people are already asking, so I hope they're they're kind of taking notes of that. The tarotoftrees.com is where you'll get examples and and uh, talked about. Uh, it's you're on uh, your is it? Uh, which where's your fundraiser? It's not GoFundMe. It's the uh, um, no, another actually, one. We, we're we're done with the fundraiser. We have oh great. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> people can just order it. There's a link on the site. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, and uh, as I say in the comments, there was there's someone who's a fan. Uh, as I say, Donna was asking about that. So, so that's how you get that. Uh, and then there's someone from Lancaster University that was here a second ago. Am yeah, I familiar? You've got the uh, people. But the one thing is uh, that I've loved, and that's how I've got to know you, is through your actual incredible uh, druid's garden blog and of course i'm passionate about that you know at last a druid that works a garden because i meet so many people that call themselves druids and uh, they don't touch the garden they've got to keep their hands nice for the healing and <laughs> it's absolutely and the stuff you put you're so generous in those articles uh and uh, i pass them on whenever i can because i find myself i can relate to them uh, so much let's see if i can bring that uh, banner back up again with the address how people uh, can get to it. But uh, I just absolutely love the blog. And I'm absolutely thrilled to actually uh, see you and can speak to you as such. Uh, and uh, that, that's fabulous. So thank you for uh, that. I hope we can get you back with other subjects because absolutely. especially when we get to the gardening ones. But it's great to get a presentation. It gave a new another dynamic uh, to uh, what I was blabbing on about today, the uh, prophecy, the uh, divination of the orm. We do. I did orm all in once in one session, and it went on for about two hours. So we split it up into five, and it's now over five hours. It just keeps going. So it's a it's a bit of a popular subject. So thanks very much uh, for being with us, uh, Dana. That's uh, and uh, it's early for you, I know. And uh, yeah, it's it's been fabulous. So we'll see you again. Uh, thank you much. Uh, thank you, uh, Dana. Okay, I'm going to have to uh, move on pretty quickly here. That was uh, gorgeous to get that uh, presentation.
So thank you, Dean, for that. Getting back to my pictures here, because uh, I need to uh, tell you what's coming up, really. Um, now, next, uh, uh, I, I'm creating the She, Water, and Tree Folklore course, of course. Uh, uh, there's going to be this subject and everything else. And as I kind of remind at uh, this time, they, the Labyrinth Gardens here and uh, the putting on this uh, show there is subscription charges because i use a bit of a flashy uh, service and so this is a uh, try to cover this uh with the uh, patreon page uh, and subscribers a gift of subscribers and it's very very close to being posted is the she water and tree folklore course uh where the subjects of sunday sessions go much further um and there's not going to be a course fee it's just invite you to the course at patreon um and uh it's all kept going by your uh subscriptions there anyway i better tell you what's coming up uh if you do subscribe just keep it to what's practical even a euro dollar or a pound a month is great it's uh there's links all over the karakori cottage website anyway right and I, i'd send you links of how to access the course as well once you're uh, a subscriber uh, I better uh, let's have a look at your comments. I haven't said hello to the rest of your comments uh, for a while. I've been ignoring you today because uh, it's a lot of show, a lot to get through. Uh, there's uh, Robin Eeks tuning in. Don't worry, it's instantly archived, so you, you can see from the beginning again. And lovely, uh, the Claire's here. Uh, Dana, uh, seems, uh, Claire enjoyed that. I guess you. I guess I, I knew she would. And uh, Sherry and Dana have had a bit of a, a chat there, which is great. Uh, uh, Donna has already said how she's loved this. Uh, Bridget, good morning. Oh, yes, you're a friend, a fan of Dana's too. Uh, Sherry, uh, we've got the – this is becoming a bit of a grove here with our familiars. And Terry is here as well. Good morning from Maryland. Uh, thank you again for all being in. Thank you for all the people – watching this as an archive because this is growing a lot of people are not going to watch this in the morning in the usa or uh and live they like to watch it in the evening so hello to all your all you archive watchers do leave your comments as well i do keep uh, checking up and to see uh what you have to say and uh, su uh suggestions as you go along uh this uh, i've got i'm going to give the show you what's coming up now uh over the next few weeks the next next week is the uh it's a it's very much a guest one uh 6th of december december traditions i'm not really going to go into the santa and all those sort of things it's going to be very tree tree type it's going to be a focus on trees and also on even the sharing of remains of the harvest. I'm going to focus on wassailing, for instance, going to be talking about that. Uh, 13th of December, I know a lot of people are uh, looking forward to this, and uh, I know that uh, we're going to have our lovely Joe back again for this. I hope if they're about, uh, Donna and uh, Trista uh, should be back for that one. Uh, that's in two weeks' time. Oshin Ellen and the reindeer folklore. I'm looking forward to that one. It's the first one for me, and I'm glad uh, to have the opportunity to 
share that with you all and you share it with me and so forth and then uh, just before uh, the solstice uh, we have 20th december there's the eulog tales and i love those ones right in the middle the grand conception day of uh, yule so we'll there's lots of local stories for that so i look forward to sharing some tales of that and we'll have hopefully some guests so uh let's see there's a couple more people saying things here um now uh let's see who we got uh, on here shell uh beautiful cards dana love reading your blog site fantastic yes indeed uh and Stephen enjoyed that thank you very much and bridget was talking about the beautiful artwork uh so thank you all again for uh, being part of this uh Right, I, I've had fun uh, going through this. I hope, <laughs> I hope you got sent it. I had to rush through it. Uh, next year, I'll just give you the link of where it is on the course, and we'll uh, we'll have more of a crack. But I hope you enjoyed that on the Orm divination. Thanks again to special guest uh, Dana Dana Dreskel. Also, the inspirations along the way from Katie Horton, Sharon Hidalgo, and um, Malina um, uh, Rooney Jester. And I would like to ask, please keep commenting here, especially if you're watching this after being live. I'm going to put some more references in the comments as well a bit later on. So uh, subscribe. Uh, click on the bell uh, on both YouTube and Facebook. It reminds you uh, each Sunday session what's coming up. So thank you again. Enjoy a safe week, uh, full of wonder, lots of inspiration, lots to celebrate, and... Uh, Enjoy the enchantments, the nice enchantments that come along. So until next Sunday, play well. Bye-bye.